And if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to grab it. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. And we are continuing a series that we started last week that we're calling Note to Self. And we're talking about our identity in Christ. How many of you are ready and excited to dive into God's Word this morning? Anybody like that? Anybody else excited about diving into God's Word today? Ephesians chapter number one, and we're studying this letter that Paul wrote to the church that was in the ancient city of Ephesus. And I believe that there are so many practical principles that we can learn this morning and apply to our lives. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start reading here in verse number 8. Last week we left off on verse 7, so we're going to pick it up in verse number 8, where the Bible says this. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in all things, one in all things, in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. For a few minutes today, I want to talk about the plans that God has for us. And the title of this message this morning is, What's the Plan? Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, What's the Plan? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you that we can come together and study your word. God, thank you that your word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Lord, I pray that as we study today these verses, that your word would not return void and that we would be able to glean some truth that we can apply to our lives and that we can go out and truly make a difference in our lives, in our families, in our homes, and in our community, and that you would be glorified and magnified in it all. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said this morning, in our household, we are big Dude Perfect fans. Dude Perfect is a YouTube group that does trick shots and funny videos. How many of you have ever seen Dude Perfect before? Okay, several of you. And uh, my kids for a while really kept on asking me over and over again and asking Katie, uh, we want to go and see Dude Perfect and we want to meet Dude Perfect. And, and uh, they were even filming some videos to try to uh, send to Dude Perfect so that this YouTube group would, uh, would uh, see them. And uh, Luke, a couple of years ago, this was two, three years ago, he filmed this video. I think we have a video this morning. He was very excited about that trick shot. And so we sent that to Dude Perfect, and 
We never heard back from them, but we did send that video uh, to them, and uh, Katie and I were thinking about how can we uh, plan, and how can we make a special trip for our kids, and so we started planning and preparing, and we put some plans together on paper, and we decided that we were going to surprise our kids with a trip to go and see this group. They had a show that they were doing, and we're going to go and uh, see this uh, special show, and so one morning, uh, the kids woke up. They were getting ready for school, and we said, all right, we're having a family meeting. Everybody come and sit on the couch, and so they kind of came in. Uh, in a line, and they sat down on the couch, and we said, you're not going to school today. And they kind of looked at each other like, what do you mean we're not going to school today? This has never happened before. And we said, you're not going to school today because we're going to see Dude Perfect. And they were shocked, and they were ecstatic, and they started cheering. And my youngest daughter, Blakely, she said, uh, we have a video of her saying, for real? For double real? <laughs> like, is this really happening for double real? And when they woke up that morning, they had no idea about the plans the big plans that Katie and I had for them. As we continue this study in Ephesians chapter 1, the overwhelming message that the Apostle Paul is communicating is that your heavenly Father has big, big plans for you. You might not be able to sense it. You might not be able to see it. You might not be able to understand it. But can I tell you that the plans that God has for you are far better than any plans that you could conjure up in your own mind. That our heavenly Father has good plans for his children. In fact, uh, the Bible says it this way in Matthew chapter number 7, verse number 9. It says this, Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will give him a stone? He says, what kind of father, if a son comes and says, Dad, I'm hungry, can I have a piece of bread? He says, sure, son, and gives him a rock. Uh, he says, a, a loving father wouldn't do that. He says, or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? And so if a child comes and says, Dad, I'm hungry, can I have uh, a piece of fish? And he says, here's a snake instead. Uh, he says, a loving father wouldn't, uh, wouldn't do this. He says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. I'm thankful that our Heavenly Father is a good gift giver, uh, that he knows how to give good gifts. And I love the next phrase, how much more? Shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? I'm thankful that our Heavenly Father knows how to give good gifts. I'm thankful that he knows how to make good plans. And yet, what I find so fascinating and troubling is that even though as followers of Jesus, we are aware that God is in control, and we are aware that he has made good plans for us, and yet so often we live in this perpetual state of worry and anxiety, as if to say, I don't know if I can trust God's plans. We are constantly worrying as a culture. We are worrying about our relationships and we're worrying about our children and we're worrying about how much money we have in the bank and we're worried about our career and we're worried about the future and we're worried about what's gonna happen. And so often we live in this perpetual state of worry and anxiety and all that is to ultimately say that we aren't sure if we can really trust God. See, Oswald Chambers, he said this, worry is an indication that we think God cannot look after us. And so often we live in this state. Uh, Corey Ten Boom, she had this famous uh, quote that, that she said about worry. She said, uh, worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength, carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And so often we are living in this time in the space of worry, and we aren't fully placing our faith and trusting that God has good plans for his people. Now, uh, last week in Ephesians chapter 1, how many of you were here last week for Open House Sunday, and uh, God gave us an, a great Open House Sunday? I'm thankful that 16 people prayed to accept Jesus Christ last Sunday, and uh, that's what it's all about. And we studied verses 1 through 7, 
And we really saw three things. Paul wanted us to understand who we are, our identity in Christ, how blessed we are, how, how, how free we are, and how loved we are. And so he was talking about this and our salvation. And now he continues that thought. And we're going to continue to learn what Paul had to say about who we are in Christ. And ultimately here in the rest of the chapter, he's going to talk about how God has good, great plans for our future. And so what I want to do today is I want to give us a few things to jot down if you want to take some notes today. I want to give us four principles today from this text. Four principles that I believe can help us trust in the plans that God has for us today. Now, number one, if you're taking notes, is this. We have to know this. Jesus will connect all the dots. Jesus will connect all the dots. This is very encouraging today. Notice verse number eight of our text. I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you, and uh, they'll be on the screen as well today. But we're going to dive deep into these verses. Notice verse number eight. It says this. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. That this is speaking to the generosity of our God, that he has abounded unto us, that he has been so generous unto us and given us a lavish amount of wisdom and insight for life. How many of you would say, man, I could use a little bit of wisdom for what I'm going through in my season right now. I could use a little bit of discernment. I could use a little bit of insight. Can I tell you that God is not stingy when it comes to his wisdom? James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. God is not up in heaven holding back wisdom that he wants to pour out on us. And that's what verse number eight is teaching, uh, that he has abounded. He's been generous in his wisdom and insight uh, to us. Now, verse number nine, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that he has made known unto us the mystery of his will. Now, that word mystery carries the idea of something that was previously hidden or unknown. In the Old Testament, uh, there were certain things that uh, they didn't understand that were hidden and unknown. And now in the New Testament, uh, these things are revealed in God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying is now God has given us wisdom and insight to really understand and to know God's will and to know God's plan for our lives. And then he goes on to verse number 10. And I believe verse number 10 is so encouraging. If you have a habit of underlining in your Bible or marking things in your Bible, verse number 10 is just such a great and encouraging verse. Notice what he says. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, uh, that just means according to God's perfect timeline, according to his perfect timing, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together, keywords, gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. This is what Paul is saying, that everything in life is summed up in one person, Jesus Christ. Everything from the Old Testament, everything in the New Testament, all culminates in the perfect uh, Son of God, Jesus Christ. In the fullness of time, he will gather together all things in one person, Christ. Gather together. Everything gathers together in Jesus Christ. That phrase is important to understand uh, what Paul is communicating, gathered together. Uh, In the Greek, it means to sum up, to add up. It's actually a mathematical term. When you add up everything to get the sum, he's saying that everything is summed up, everything is added together in Jesus. And this is so encouraging because there are so many things in life that from a human limited perspective just don't add up. There are so many things from our finite paradigm that we just can't make sense of. Why would God allow me to go through this season of hurt and suffering? It just doesn't add up. 
Why would God call my loved one home early? It just doesn't make sense. It just, it doesn't add up. I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to come to church. I'm trying to do the right things. And yet I'm still broken and hurting on the inside. It just doesn't add up. And this is what Paul is saying in verse number 10. That in God's perfect timing, everything will add up in Jesus Christ. That there will come a day when he will make sense of all the mess. There will come a day when he will connect all the dots. Uh, Now we look through a glass darkly and it's hard to understand, but then face to face, aren't you thankful today that everything will gather together and everything will culminate together in the person of Jesus Christ. It's always been about Jesus and it always will be about Jesus. And Paul is saying everything gathers together in Jesus Christ. Now, if all of human history culminates in Jesus, then that means that every area of our lives should flow through Jesus. And sometimes what we do and what we are guilty of is compartmentalizing our faith and compartmentalizing Jesus. Jesus is for Sunday. Jesus is for Wednesday night. Jesus is for Thursday. And we compartmentalize our faith. But can I tell you that Jesus is not just for Sunday or Wednesday or Thursday, but that Jesus is for every single moment of our lives. Everything culminates together in Jesus Christ. One uh, commentator, Francis Folks, he said this, it is a heresy of our times to divide life into sacred and secular. This is what we do. This is my church life, this is my sacred life, and this is the secular life, and this is what I do over here, and this is school, and we compartmentalize things. But the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so no matter what your profession is, no matter what you do Monday through Saturday, uh, we are to do all those things to the glory of God. And so Jesus will ultimately connect all the dots. Paul's saying this is good news. Even when you can't make sense of it, just know that all things culminate in Jesus. This leads us to our second thought. Number two is this. You can be confident because your future is secure. You need to know that when it comes to your future, when it comes to the plans that God has for you, they are secure. Now, this is great news. I was reading this story this week about this couple that was getting ready to retire, and they were really worried about their retirement. And uh, they were concerned that they weren't going to have enough money, and could we, can we afford a retirement home? And they were worried. And so they started to do the math, and they realized that it would actually be cheaper to book a cruise line and to live on a cruise ship. And so they booked 51 consecutive back-to-back-to-back cruises, and they lived, I think we have a picture this morning, they lived on the cruise ship for 500 days, and uh, just living, living the dream. Now, some of you might think, man, that sounds awesome. To me, that sounds like a lot of drama mean. I'm not sure that's what I want to do. But uh, they were concerned about their future. And what Paul is saying in these next few verses is that when it comes to your future, you can be confident because your future is secure. Now, we're going to see this in two ways. I want to first talk about our inheritance. Notice it in verse number 11. If you're still with me, would you say amen? Amen. Verse 11. In whom, Jesus, also we have obtained an inheritance. Now, this is great news. This is encouraging. The word inheritance is is an accounting term. Uh, uh, Ephesus was the banking capital of ancient Asia Minor, and so Ephesus was a very wealthy city. And so Paul used a lot of these accounting terms and banking terms because he knew that it would resonate with his audience. And so here he's talking about an inheritance, and he says, we, when we place our faith in Jesus, we obtain, we receive an inheritance, verse number 11, being predestinated, we saw that word last week, being predetermined, that, that God had good plans for us, according to 
uh, the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And so we have this inheritance. Our inheritance, namely, is the fact that we have a home in heaven reserved for us. And um, no matter how hard this life gets, and no matter, no matter how bleak things become, I'm thankful today that I have a home in heaven waiting for me when I die, that Jesus is preparing for me, that we have an inheritance in heaven. Don't be so earthly-minded that you forget that you are so spiritually rich and your inheritance is reserved for you in heaven. Now, notice what he says in verse number 12. It says this, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Now, there is a distinction that Paul's gonna make here. He says that we should be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Who's he talking about? Those that first trusted in Christ. Well, here he's talking about the Jewish people. He's talking about uh, Romans 1.16, that the gospel came to the Jew first chronologically and also to the Greek. And so he's saying that we trusted in Christ first, to the Jew first, but then he says this in verse number 13. Now, now track with me, in whom you also trusted. Notice the distinction. We trusted first, Jewish people. Verse 13, you also trusted. Who's he talking about there? The Gentiles. He's talking about all the non-Jewish people. He says, we trusted in Christ first. And then verse number 13, in whom also you trusted after that you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. By the way, uh, that is how we experience salvation. We hear the word of truth and we believe. And so he was saying, we trusted Jewish people. You trusted Gentile people. What that means is, Paul is saying, we are now brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this might not mean a whole lot to you this morning, but this was radical in the first century because the Jews hated the Gentiles and the Gentiles hated the Jews. And there was great animosity and racial tension and turmoil. And Paul's saying this, uh, we trusted in Christ. You trusted in Christ. That means we are now a part of the family of God and we are both brothers and sisters in Christ. And see, today... In our culture, as we consider the racial tension in our world today, as we consider the great animosity and the hatred of certain groups against other groups, there are so many philosophies and ideologies that are being uh, put out there to try and attempt to bring about some sort of reconciliation. But can I tell you that ultimate reconciliation and restoration is only made possible through the cross and through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are not united by our skin color. We are not united by our education. We are not united by our experiences. We are not united by our political affiliations. Can I tell you today, we are united by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does anybody believe today that he is the only hope for relational reconciliation in our world today? Paul says, we believe, you believe. We're now brothers and sisters in Christ. And guess what? We both have an inheritance in heaven. We are part of the family of God. But then he goes on. And he's not just talking about our inheritance. Now he's going to talk about our guarantee. Uh, how many of you like a good old-fashioned guarantee? Anybody like that? Like guarantee or your money back, right? Uh, we like a good old-fashioned guarantee. Now, uh, as followers of Jesus, when it comes to our inheritance, Jesus says you have a guarantee. I want you to see it in verse 13. Notice the end of the verse. It says this. In whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And so he says the moment that we get saved and the moment that we place our faith in Jesus Christ, in that moment, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is great news. 
In the first century, in, in ancient culture, really, uh, a seal was significant for several reasons. A seal uh, uh, would typify and would be a symbol of security. Uh, if a king were to place his signet, his seal, upon a document, that was a binding, unchanging document. How many of you remember the story of Daniel and uh, the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6 in the Old Testament? Remember that story? Remember the king, King Darius? He, when he found out that he was tricked, he didn't want Daniel to go to the lion's den. But he couldn't change his mind, and he couldn't and change the order. Why? Because it was already sealed. Uh, the document was unchangeable. And so this means that there is security. And this is good news. The moment that you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And you have uh, this security now that you are safe and secure in the Father's arms. And so a seal would represent security, but a seal also in ancient culture represented ownership. If someone were to place their seal upon something, that signified, I own this. So this is, this is something that is mine. Uh, whether it was cattle or whether it was a pillar on a building, uh, kings would often put their seal on certain things to mark ownership. And uh, my daughter Liv, she's in fourth grade, and she loves to read. And she's always reading, and we're always trying to get her new books, and we're trying to fuel this desire that she has. And I brought one of her books this morning, Where the Red Fern Grows. And uh, she read this uh, a while back, and... Since she loves reading so much, Katie and I, for Christmas one year, Katie ordered this, this uh, stamp. And on this stamp, it says at the top, belongs to the library of, and then Live Chapel. And so Liv, now every time she gets a book, she dips that uh, in the ink, and then she stamps, and uh, she seals and stamps all of her books to signify this book belongs to Liv. It's, it's her book. It marks ownership. See, the moment that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and he marked you as his. Now, this is important, because in our culture today, we hear a lot of things like, well, it's my body, my choice. But we have to recognize that we were bought with a price. What know you not that your body is not your own? You are bought with a price. See, it's not our body to do whatever we want with. It's uh, the body of the Lord. He owns us. And the Holy Spirit has sealed us, signifying uh, ownership. And so uh, Paul is saying here uh, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then he goes on in verse number 14. And it says this, which is the earnest of our inheritance. So the earnest, uh, the earnest is the down payment. Um, if you ever purchased a home, you were required to put a down payment down, right? Uh, when Katie and I, when we, we first got married, we were saving and saving, wanted to uh, purchase uh, a condo, and, and uh, we saved and saved. We didn't have enough money, and so I sold my car, and I used that money as the earnest, as the, as the down payment to be able to put a security deposit on that house to secure uh, our spot so that we could purchase that home. And see, the Holy Spirit is our earnest. He is our guarantee that, yes, we have a home in heaven awaiting us, and the Holy Spirit is our earnest. He is our guarantee that we will receive our inheritance one day. And so uh, this is all great news. What is Paul trying to say? Your future is secure. Uh, you don't have to be worried and, and uh, vacillate between faith and fear. You can know that your future is secure. Now, something kind of interesting in verses 1 through 14. Everybody still doing okay so far today? Something interesting about verses 1 through 14 is that what you see is the triune work of a holy God. You see all three persons of the Holy Spirit at work in verses 1 through 14. You see the work of God the Father in that he chose us, accepted us, and adopted us. 
We see the work of God the Son in verse number seven that he redeemed us and that he forgave us and that he revealed to us his will. will. And so then we see in verses 13 and 14 the work of the Holy Spirit that he seals us and he is our earnest until the day of redemption. And so uh, what we see is the triune work of a holy God. All three persons uh, of the Holy Spirit uh, all three persons of the Godhead are at work in the life of a believer uh, in these verses. And so uh, Paul is saying, man, God is doing such a wonderful work in your life. And this leads us to our third thought. Number three is this. You can know God. This is so important today to realize that you can know God. Many people think that they can't truly know God. The atheist says there is no God to know. The agnostic says there might be a God, but we can't know him. But Paul is going to tell us today that we can actually know God on a personal level. And I want you to see it in verse number 15. It says this. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, in the love unto all saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So Paul kind of transitions here in verse 15, and now he's praying for the church. And he says, man, I am thanking God for you. And he really commends them in verse 15 for two things. He commends them for their great faith. And what was the second thing in verse number 15 that he commends them for? Love. He says, you are doing a great job loving. Uh, you are loving people, and you are loving God in the way that you should, and you are demonstrating the love of Christ in the city of Ephesus. You are commended for your love. You know what's fascinating, though? In about 30 to 35 years from when this letter was written, the church of Ephesus would receive another letter. This time, the letter was not from the Apostle Paul, but it was from Jesus, penned by the hand of the Apostle John. And they receive this letter in Revelation chapter 2. And what does Jesus say to the church of Ephesus? You left your first love. And so here, Paul commends them for their love. But something happened in the next 30 years that they stopped loving in the way that God called them to love. Something tragic happens in the life of a church when we become more interested in what's in it for me rather than loving our community rather than loving the people around us. And here Paul is commending them uh, for their love. Here they are in their prime, they're loving people. Can I just encourage Rock Hill Church? Let's never be a church that ceases to love people in the way that God wants us to love people. I'm thankful that God's doing a great work in our church and that so many people are coming in and receiving Jesus Christ as their savior. But let's make sure that we don't ever adopt just kind of a consumer mindset of, hey, what's in it for me? Let's make sure that as a church, we have a contributor mind mindset of how can I serve? How can I love? How can I be involved? And so Ephesus here, uh, he's writing this uh, letter. And he says, man, I'm thanking you uh, for your, your faith and your love. Now notice verse number 17. It says this. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is great news. Paul says, I am praying that you can grow in your knowledge of him. I'm praying that you will get to know God on a more personal and deep level. Not just facts about God. Not just intellectually or information about God. But that you can grow in your knowledge of him. That you can know him Personally, uh, today, I could tell you a lot of facts uh, about Mookie Betts for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I could give you some statistics. I could tell you how they lost 11-2 last night. Let's be praying for them. Uh, I, could give you, uh, I could give you some information about Mookie Betts, but I've never met Mookie Betts, unfortunately. I wish I did know him. Maybe he would help our building fund at Rock Hill. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't know Mookie Betts. I could tell you some things about him, but I don't know him. Many people today know some facts about God, but they don't truly know him. 
And Paul is saying, I want you to grow in your knowledge of God. So many people have a misunderstanding about who God is. That, that, that God is just some sort of cosmic butler up in the sky, and I can just, whenever I have a problem, I'll just kind of, that's the only time I'll talk to God, or, or that God is just some uh, judge that's just waiting to, uh, to get me in trouble, or that, yeah, there might be a God, but we can't really know him, and he's far from us, and he's not uh, very uh, personal in my life. But Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Yeah. Uh, Paul said, I want to know God. That is my highest pursuit in life, to know God. Now, don't miss this. Because we are in a series today called Note to Self. And we are learning about our identity in Christ through the book of Ephesians. It's so important to understand who we are. But you will never be able to understand who you really are if you don't know who God really is. Many people today are so confused about their identity. And they are so confused about who they are because they don't have the proper understanding of who God is and what he has created them to do. And so Paul is saying, uh, you need to grow in your knowledge of God. Can I encourage you today to spend time in his word as he is communicating to you, to spend time in prayer, uh, to grow in your knowledge of God. You can know the God that created you. This is encouraging news today. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, our supreme need is to know God. The greatest need that we have is to know God. Henry Alford said this, uh, for Philosophy comes to man with this message, know thyself. But the gospel meets him with the far more glorious and fruitful watchword, know thy God. And so Paul is encouraging the church to know God. Notice verse number 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. He says, I want you to have vision and understand what God's doing in your life and understand who God, who God really is. That you may know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Can I show you something really cool in verse number 18? Anybody else interested in verse number 18? Okay, two people wanted to see it, so I'm just going to go ahead and share it anyways. He says in verse 18, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, the word inheritance in verse 18 is not the same inheritance as verse number 11. Verse number 11 was talking about our inheritance, that we have a home in heaven awaiting us. Verse number 18 is talking about his inheritance. Who are God's inheritance? Us, the saints, this should shatter any thoughts of insecurity or any doubts of self-worth. I don't know how valuable I am. God says, you are so valuable to me. You are so precious to me that you are my inheritance. That's how precious you are. That's how valuable. That's how much I love you, that God says, you, the people of God, are my inheritance. Notice verse number 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now, this leads us to our fourth thought. And I want to give this to us as we close that. I believe, again, uh, this is so uh, needed and, and encouraging for us today. Number four is this. God's strength is available. You need to know today that the strength of God and the power of God is available. Now, in verse number 19, Paul just talked about God's power, but he didn't just talk about God's power generically. He gives us four unique Greek words that tell us all about the strength and the power that is available to us. Is it okay if I show you what these words are this morning from verse 19? Notice in verse 19, it says this, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power? There's the first word for power. It's the word dunamis. Uh, it's where we get our word dynamite, uh, that God has made explosive power available to us. But then if we go on in verse 19, to his power to us word who believe according to the working, 
The word working in the Greek is talking about energy, that God gives us the energy that we need uh, to move forward in life. How many of you have ever been exhausted or tired or stressed and just feel like, man, I am totally out of energy? Anybody ever felt that before? Well, what Paul is saying is that God gives us the power, the dunamis, the dynamite, and the energy that we need to move forward. But not only does he give us power and energy, then he goes on in verse number 19, and he says, working of his mighty the word mighty in the Greek is this word iskus. It means force of strength, to use force. It's like if Katie calls me into the kitchen and she has a jar that she can't get open, and I walk into the room hoping to be a hero in that moment, and I open up that jar and I use some force to get that open and I hand it back to Katie. And uh, by the way, she's never usually impressed with that. I, I always think she might be, but and uh, she said she is. Thank you. And using that force. And this is what that word means, that, that the mighty power of God, that there is force that is available, that he can propel us uh, to the next level. And so according to the working, that energy, that mighty, that force, and then power. Now, this second time he uses the word power in verse 19, it's a different Greek word. So the first one was dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. But this one is the word kratos, and it means this, dominion or rule. And I love this thought, because what he's saying is the power of God can give you dominion and rule in your life that you don't have to just live a chaotic life and everything's just spiraling out of control and uh, running around with your, like, a, like a chicken with its head cut off and just all over the place. No, you can have rule and order in your life. God can give you the strength to do that. Now, Paul gives this detailed description of God's power that's available to us. But notice, he didn't say that you need to pray for it. Why didn't Paul say, pray for this kind of power? Because what Paul recognizes is this. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you already have it. He says, this is the power that lives within you. In fact, he gives an example of this power. Notice verse 20. He says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He says, you want to see a picture of this kind of power that's available? Notice the empty tomb. That's how powerful our God is. There was this family several years ago that moved into this little house in the town of Defiance, Ohio. Defiance, Ohio has about a population of 16,000 people. And this family inherited this home. And there wasn't anything impressive about this home, uh, but they inherited it. And so they went, they started living in it. And some time passed by. And one day they went up into the attic and they started to kind of look through some things that were in the attic of that little house there in Defiance, Ohio. And they noticed that in some of these boxes, there were a lot of baseball cards. And they started to kind of look through these baseball cards. And what they found was something that's called a T206 Honus Wagner baseball card. I think we have a picture today. This is considered the holy grail of baseball cards. The most rare, the most rare uh, baseball card that you can imagine is this Honus Wagner baseball card, and it sold not too long ago at an auction for $7.5 million. When that family moved into that little house in Defiance, Ohio, they had no idea what was inside. So many Christians and followers of Jesus tragically have no idea what's inside of them and the power that is available to them through the filling of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, man, God has given you power. You can access his strength and power. And this is such good news because so many people today are struggling to find strength to defeat sin in their lives. 
I don't know if I have enough strength to defeat this temptation. I feel like I'm trying to win this battle over this lust, but I just can't seemingly get victory in this area. I don't know if I have enough strength to continue battling this health trial, and I just feel as though my flesh is weak, and I don't know if I can go on any further. And Paul says there is great power that is available to you through the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's dynamite power. It's an energetic power. It's a power and a force of strength in your life. The question is not, do you have access? The question is, are you taking advantage? Are you being filled with the Spirit and striving in His strength and not your own? Now, the only way to truly experience this kind of power is to know that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says this in John chapter 1, in verse number 12, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, to become the children of God. If you receive the Lord Jesus, he gives the power to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. But then he says this, as we close today, watch this. He says this, which were born, now he's talking about a spiritual birth to be regenerated, to be born again, not a physical birth, but a spiritual birth, to be born into God's family. But then he says this, not of blood. What is he saying? That you are not born again into the family of God based on your family upbringing. It's not based on your lineage. It's not based on how religious your parents were or how uh, your, religious your grandparents were. It's not by blood. It's not through family. Then he says, nor the will of the flesh. This gives the idea of sincerity, that it doesn't matter how sincere you are. It, just because you have a well-meaning heart and you are very sincere, that is not how you are born again. And then he says, nor the will of flesh, nor of the will of man. In other words, what he's saying here is that it's not by your will, your effort, your achievement. It's not by being uh, the best possible person that you can be in your works of righteousness. No, that's not what saves you. He says you are born again in the very last few words, but of God. And so we don't save ourselves. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. And so today, the question is, has there ever been a time in your life when you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? To experience all the blessings, the spiritual inheritance, a home in heaven, his strength that's available. And you can know him personally today by placing your faith in him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we close this morning.